Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with my fantastic co-host, Dan Favalli. Last week, we brought you our buy and sells for all 15 teams in the NBA's Eastern Conference. We're flipping it around this time and going with buy or sells for all 15 teams in the Western Conference. Uh, we'll be running through alphabetically, starting with Dallas, finishing with Utah, and covering everyone in between. And as always, trying to keep this around an hour and most likely bringing you a three-hour podcast. Before we dive in, how's it going, Dan? I am doing well, relatively well, anyway. How how about yourself? Pretty good. It's been a, you know, we're recording this on Sunday afternoon. It's been a, a great weekend. The weather's looking up in Colorado. We got to spend some outside time. No complaints there. Well, we have like a huge blizzard coming our way, apparently, over here So in New York. So good for Bundle you. Bundle up. Bundle been, up. It's been freezing here, and I've wanted to kill myself every single day. But uh, that's figuratively speaking. Didn't mean to get that dark. I'm ready to talk, though. Buy, buy or sell some stuff with the Western Conference teams. There's like a lot of weird situations. And as always, we ba- both, it seems like, basically approach this with our buy or sells will be general as a means to launch into the weeds is basically the goal. And we we did try to frame them as questions where it's like it's fairly reasonable to pick either side. Like it's not a really a good buy or sell question if you're like buy or sell Nikola Jokic just having an MVP caliber season. Like buy, move on. I would like to say it does seem like Denver Nuggets fans are getting annoyed that he hasn't been higher in in MVP ladders. And it's just like the Nuggets have finally try winning more games. Yeah. And they finally just started being good and the defense is is getting better. But like we need to, you know, the what a, the what about my favorite team's best playerism like needs to I think it in general needs to chill. I will do you know who I want to shout out on that front though? Just really quickly. The Cleveland Cavaliers, they've been on the Colin Sexton bandwagon, the fan base, for a really long time, and they seem to be welcoming other people. But, like, with if you don't, let's use Miles Turner in Indiana as an example, but, like, you can't really call May Culpa on what you think of Miles Turner at this point. Um, and it seems to be the same way with, you know, Jokic. You know, I had Jokic, I think, third when we did the prediction for MVPs, like, basically one month into the season. At this point, it does look like I. He might need to be two in an exercise if that was to be redone right now. Uh, just if people are going to, you know, with more information, change their change their I guess stances. Isn't that the whole point of everything? But Nikola Jokic has been phenomenal. I don't want to dilute that. I think in general, more people just need to be okay admitting that their views can change and should change and will change as they get more information. Like that's what we're supposed to do. And the flip side is admit that you're wrong. If I end up voting Miles Turner for Defensive Player of the Year, I will f- full stop admit, okay, my prediction was wrong. Uh, let's get to Dallas though. We did the Eastern Conference already. So this is interesting. As we're recording this, they're losers of five straight. And I'll say the I know it was on the second end of a back to back, but that breakdown against Phoenix, who didn't have Devin Booker, not great. Uh buyer and Luca said after the loss to the Jazz that it doesn't look like the Mavericks care. Buyers sell that the Mavericks' biggest issue has been the limited availability slash play of Kristaps Porzingis as he continues to work his way back from his injury. I'm going to sell that. I I think it is a big deal. It's problematic that he's only shooting 28.6% on his threes. It's problematic that he's been fouling too frequently and hasn't been on the court at all for many games and just isn't playing the the level of basketball that we know he's been capable of playing, albeit in shorter spurts, mostly with the New York Knicks. There are more issues than that on this Mavericks roster. It's a problem that that Josh Richardson isn't hitting shots, that Tim Hardaway Jr. has been unbelievably streaky, that there just aren't major sources of reliable offense aside from Luka Doncic, that the defense hasn't coalesced with or without Kristaps on the floor. Like this is this has been a very disappointing team that currently sits at eight and twelve as we're, we're as we're recording this, and that's about more than Kristaps only playing nine games so far. 
Yeah, and look, they've had some nice surprises. By and large, Jalen Brunson has been really good for them this year. Uh, Trey Burke has had his moments, although they need him you know, over this five-game losing streak. They need guys like him need to shoot better from three. And Hardaway Jr. was shooting fine from three over the course of the year, but he's not shooting well over this stretch. So maybe that's being exacerbated. I think you could even call out Luka Doncic. He's at 32.4% from three over this five-game stretch, which is higher than he is overall for the season. And I know the level of difficulty on his shots matters. And I get that that's important to Dallas's offense. But if you're going to live or feast on those threes, like you, you need to hit. I would say above 33% of them at some point. That would just be my my take. And I, I think I'll I'll sell as well. I mean, it's tough not to – maybe I'll buy because they need Kristaps to, to, to be the number two. That's why you made the trade for Seth Curry and Josh Richardson, I think because you're confident that you have a number two-ish offensive option in Kristaps Porzingis. And the fact that he hasn't been that, there doesn't appear to be like any synergy between he and Luka Doncic at this point. And look – KP is only three games into the season, so like we need to see that there. Um, another thing to look at with this team, they're once again they're two and five in the clutch this season, and just so many of their shots are coming from beyond the arc during that time. Um, twenty nine of the shots that they've taken in crunch time have come from beyond the arc, and they're only shooting twenty four point one percent on those. And that's like do you need to put some more pressure on the rim or vary it up? They've actually been shooting okay from two in those minutes. I get that we're dealing with a small sample size here, but of 54 shots, if 29 of them, which amounts to, uh, what is 29? It's more than 50%. So quick math, 53.7% of your shots are coming from beyond the arc in crunch time. Like those are going to need to fall at a higher clip for you to, to be fine. And so I'm going to buy that it's KP, but maybe it's more so buying that they might need to trade for another shot creator, which I guess then extends past KP. So I guess I am, I am selling here. That was my roundabout way of, of, of buying. <laughs> you bought and, and sold a lot throughout that. Well, I think my, my cliff notes summary is, is kind of just that like they need Kristaps Porzingis to be what they expect as that number two option to be title contenders. But that is not the only reason they're eight and 12. Correct. And I will say, I don't know if you saw this tweet because it came from the Hardwood Knox account on Twitter, at Hardwood Knox. Folks, follow it. Did you see the tweet I did about the Knicks from there? I've been very offline this weekend, so no. Okay, the Knicks are on pace to have exactly one lottery pick this season, and it is not their own. (laughs) I wish that were more surprising. Uh, I don't think it's going to stay. Twenty twenty one. I don't. Like, I don't think it's going to stay that way. And look, if I'm like an upper echelon Western Conference team, I, Dallas is not going to fall out of the playing tournament area, even no. in the worst case scenario. I don't want. I want them to climb up a little bit. I don't want a first round matchup with Luca. I just don't. Maybe you're not as afraid of them in the second round or the conference final. I don't want to have to face Luca in the first. Like that just seems unnecessarily difficult. I think we saw that last year where it was like we, we thought he had this brutal matchup against the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George both checking him. And it just didn't matter because he's kind of matchup proof. And if you're putting him in a playoff situation where typically you get to see those rotations condense and, you know, coaches make adjustments throughout a series, but it didn't affect him. Yeah, Marcus Moore has actually ended up doing the best defensive job of him of anyone on the Clippers. Do you want to move on to Denver, though? Let's move on to Denver. Um, so coming out of the bubble last season, it seemed like Jamal Murray was ascending to that superstar tier where he just taken over entire playoff series. It, it really felt like he could make that leap to be you know, an unquestioned top 20 player. Um, but now we've seen him struggle to to reach that that same level to exhibit any sort of consistency. And meanwhile, we've seen Michael Porter Jr. just prove that he can be this absolute offensive hub, a, a capable three-level scorer, an improved defender. He he looks like he could be a superstar. Uh, so are you buying or selling that if 
the Nuggets get involved in trade talks for a player like Bradley Beal, that Jamal Murray should be more available than Michael Porter Jr. I'll buy. Just because I think at this point there's more variance to Jamal Murray's performance, and since you've already paid him, there's going to be variance to Michael Porter Jr.'s performance and availability, apparently, too. But he's just costless right now. And so, that's no, that's not going to stay that way forever. But um, that might be the actually the only situation in which I would trade for Bradley Beal from Denver because their problem is not necessarily offense. It would be what plus Jamal Murray gets you to Bradley Beal, who theoretically makes you more playoff proof. Right. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to buy it as well just because you don't need a Jamal Murray as much when you have Nikola Jokic on your team. But Porter's ability to to thrive as a scorer in just every setting imaginable, I think, is is more valuable. He just as good as that pick and roll combination and reverse pick and roll combination has been with Jokic and Murray. It's kind of like a luxury, and, and Porter it seems like more of a floor raiser for them. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you there. Do we want to move on to Golden State? Do we have anything to add? On? Is there any other player that you would consider moving Murray for though, if you're Denver? Just a, that's theoretically could be available. Probably not. I mean, it's in, unless someone is just entirely unexpectedly made available. But like of of the players who are commonly talked about as trade candidates this season, like I, I don't know that you would want to move Murray for anyone else. You would not move him straight up. They said Jamal Murray for Zach Levine, and they'll give you something else because Murray makes so much. No, money. I don't, I don't think I would. All right, would you? Probably not. They would. They would have to include like other stuff there. And I don't even yeah. know if they have the other stuff that would make me um, do it. And I just think that's because Jamal Murray. I think we've seen can give you more on defense at times, and right. um, you could probably trust him more as a playmaker. Although Zach Levine's been good there, but he turns. He still does turn the ball over like crazy. I'm even trying to think. Like, I guess maybe yeah, yeah, realistically available. Like Golden State's not going to trade Stephen Curry. Um, yeah, there's. I'm trying to go through it right now, and I just I don't have anyone up there. It's hard to find any options. Even if Minnesota was like, all right, we're going to get rid of Towns. Like Towns just doesn't make any sense for for Denver at this point. No, not even remotely as good as he is. Here's something that would be interesting. What if the Pelicans were willing to do Brandon Ingram for Jamal Murray? But why would they? They need an actual like real guard. And maybe they don't, you know, it's not Bledsoe. It's not Lonzo. There's no way they're giving up Brandon Ingram at his age and how quickly he's exploded for them. All right, that was just an example. Would you do it if they did? Oh, I have one more too. I'm I'm waffling here. Um, I, I yeah, I think I would. I would do Brandon it too. Ingram. Yeah, I would 100 percent do it. That was this one's um interesting. I don't know if it would be straight up or as part of like a three team scenario where they're not the ones getting Beal. Would you give him up for Ben Simmons? In a heartbeat. You're not worried about the sort of overlap and ball domination there. With well, Jokic is not. I don't want to say he's ball dominant, but like you don't want to give him fewer touches ever because he is just I don't, so. I don't good. think I would just because Simmons raises the defensive ability so much, and and Denver is uniquely positioned with such a floor stretching five that it counteracts so many of Simmons's biggest shortcomings. You know, like Embiid shoots threes. He's not the floor spacing five that Jokic is. Okay. I have one more. I just don't think they would do it. Um, what if Toronto was like, we'll give you Fred Van Fleet and OG for Jamal Murray? No, no. You're, you're relying on – no, I don't think so. Oh, I think you're still – you're relying on, on too much growth from OG. Maybe I'm too – maybe I need to be higher on Jamal Murray, but I think I would do it. Is it at least that's something you think about or it's right – it's like you didn't even I – would, I would reject that immediately. 
I mean, I think like as as much as Murray has been perceived to struggle this season, he's still averaging 19, four and four and a half and shooting like fairly efficiently because he's just a remarkably talented offensive player. And we, we are not seeing the best version of him right now. Like he's yeah. still really good. Like let's not downplay how, how devastatingly effective he is and has proven to be in those playoff situations. Yeah, that's a good point. And so if you're going to move a Jamal Murray, like it needs, you need to, it needs to be for a transcendent type player. Exactly. And I think with Ben Simmons or Bradley Beal, you're sort of guaranteed. Ben Simmons is a different type of transcendent. Let's be clear. And then with a Brandon Ingram, I think that that maybe it's kind of even, but just based off what Brandon Ingram has showed you over the past two seasons, it might just make more sense there. And that's why I'm against the Levine one, because as good as the numbers he's putting up are, we haven't shown that he can elevate a team. He hasn't had to do that in any sort of pressure-packed situation. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. This is second straight podcast. We talked about the Jamal Murray, too, because we talked about him relative to Colin Sexton when we did the Eastern Conference one. Hey, check out that episode. There's some good, there's some good self-promotion here. Golden State. Buy or sell, Draymond Green has become too much of an offensive liability and the Warriors need to make some sort of a trade. I'm not saying for a star, and I'm not saying they need to trade Draymond, but they need to make some sort of a trade to now navigate the the minutes that Stephen Curry won't play. And so I have some background before you even give me an answer. Draymond Green has played 906 possessions. How many of those possessions do you think have come without Stephen Curry? You're on mute, Adam. If you'd like to take yourself off, you you can you can answer the question. Like 120? That was my fault for trying to plug in a baby monitor during a podcast. Could you have some priorities? It's the podcast, then it's your child. I know. I'm sorry. I routinely forget that. So I'll your, be better. Your guess I'll be better, was, I promise. How what was your guess? 120. Um, it's 13. And it was lower than I expected, I'll, I'll say. Draymond Green has, I think this has always been, some, like it feels like too many of his shots always come from the mid-range. Uh, this year he is shooting disastrous from mid-range, a whopping 26% down from, he's normally been in the 30s at least over the past three seasons. Still not, he's not a threat from the three-point arc. He's shooting 55% at the rim, which would be a career low. And that they're not even using him really in the Stephen Curry list minutes. I feel like it's a problem. And to that point, there are two things. Uh, Golden State has about a league average offense when Steph and Draymond are playing. And that's basically all of Draymond's minutes, mind you. And then without Steph and Curry, they rank on the floor. They rank in the second percentile of offensive efficiency. And so now I will throw this to you. Buy or sell this, whatever Despite I said before. Despite all of that, I think I'm still going to sell. Because this roster is still constructed to have use for his remarkable defensive talents, for his leadership. It still has Steph Curry. And throughout much of the season, Golden State has struggled to have the ancillary pieces assert themselves to any degree. Now, we're, we're seeing that Andrew Wiggins has seemingly turned a corner for the 800th time in his career, and who knows if it'll be sustainable. But beyond that, Kelly Oubre is still shooting 37.2% from the field, 22.8% from three, and that actually feels like misleadingly high based on how he's played. And beyond those names, you're already looking at you know a, a rookie James Weissman, Damian Lee, Eric Pascal, Brad Wanamaker as, as guys who are expected to be scoring. I don't think it's a Draymond Green issue. I think it's a they don't yet have the support pieces because this is a a team that expected to go into the season with Clay Thompson supporting everyone. So if you don't have that floor spacing that was expected to be around Draymond, it's it's not a surprise to me that he hasn't been able to elevate that offensive performance with or without Steph. But it doesn't 
mean they need to make a trade for this season because they're not really realistic title contenders this season anyway, if that makes sense. It does, but you also kind of proved my point for me. You need to find a way to maximize Draymond then, and you need to put more. Absolutely. You need to find more functional shooting around him this season, I would argue. And I'm not, so I think you straddle the middle ground. And I guess if they could get Bradley Beal, um, Jonathan Tajarik's had a, uh, great piece at the ringer about why Steph should demand a trade for Bradley Beal. If you could get Bradley Beal on this team, I would 100% do it. But is there like a middle ground where it's not going to cost? Is there someone where it won't cost you James Wiseman and the Minnesota pick, where it's one or the other? I'd probably say preferably the Minnesota pick. I'm not sure. Just knowing what we've seen from James Wiseman, I don't know if you would feel differently. Um, and then so you have names like uh, Zach Levine would be someone I thought for this team. If you can get him for basically, I don't know what the other assets are. You have Kelly Oubre Jr. salary, by the way, which is expiring. I wouldn't hesitate to move him. Shams, um, Shams said that they had talked with the Pelicans about a deal for him. I'm guessing that involved J.J. Redick, who is going to go northeast, it looks like anyway, so that's out of the question. Would you do something like that this season? And I want, I'm buying it. I 100%. If you can get Zach Levine for the cost of, I'd probably say just, I don't, Chicago doesn't need James Wiseman unless you're going to get Wendell Carter Jr. and Zach Levine and you're giving up Wiseman. That's something to look at, I guess. But uh, I I would 100% do that this year because I think that they need it, and I don't know that Clay comes back and fixes all of it. I feel like he still can. He still Maybe can, but it's foolish. also a year away. And Maybe like, that's look, foolish, yeah. Steph it, is, Curry, it is a year away. I think that that's – Steph has not shown a decline in play this season. Okay, great. So He's I, also, I think that you can – I don't mean to interrupt, but he's also why well, I do mean to interrupt. Like Stephen Curry is also thirty-two. Like you don't get to you don't get to fuck around for another year. Like that's my. I know you've. I feel like, like we've. Given does them- does moving for does moving for Zach Levine like maybe prematurely? Does that put this Golden State team in title contention? Are they in the same conversation as the two Los Angeles teams? Maybe even in that that Phoenix Suns realm, the Denver Nuggets realm, the Utah Jazz realm, like. Do you, does does one move like that push them into that category? I don't, I don't think it, so. I don't. Know I, would, it, I would rather see. I would rather see like what we're expecting from Clay, and then determine how we can build around it. I don't. I just don't think they have that luxury when Steph turns thirty three in March. And I think whether they join the Clippers and Lakers in the upper echelon of the West, wouldn't you say that with a Zach Levine or even a Victor Oladipo, just someone who can not a great necessarily great shooter, but someone who can run the offense in Steph's absence, uh, in theory anyway, it doesn't it substantially elevate their ceiling from where it is now? It does. I just don't don't know if it does it enough to justify making that move now. Would you trade for Bradley Beal if you're this team then? That, yes. That, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the exception because Bradley Beal is just that good. I like that we've disagreed uh, twice so far. Oh, no, we agreed on Dallas. Never mind. But that was a good disagreement. That was a productive disagreement, I would say. Yeah. As opposed to this one where you're just, you're just wrong. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, Houston. Victor Oladipo, who I don't, I don't know if you remember that he was acquired in that James Harden blockbuster trade for the Houston Rockets. Um, he's Wait, gonna what? play. I know, I know. Breaking news. He's going to play with the Houston Rockets beyond this season. Are we buying or selling that? I'm going to sell. I just don't know. I can't imagine Tillman Fertitta shelling out the money to pay him, and I don't know that he would want to stay there unless they have this hot end toward the season. He is going to have to cede offensive status to, a, or touches at least, to a John Wall. Um, if Boogie sticks around, you have Christian Wood there as well. Uh, I guess if they're going to max him out, he would stay, but he just feels like someone who has a wandering eye, and the, the noise with Miami is just wild. And so if they're willing to pay him and they're going to have cap space, 
I sell the idea that he'll still be in Houston. If you, what would be tough for me is if you said buy or sell him finishing this season in Houston might actually be the, the one that's tougher for me to answer. I don't think he's played well enough this season to have that much interest as an expiring contract. Like it's fun that he's scoring 20.8 points per game, 22 since he moved to Houston. Like they have not been efficient points. In Houston, um, he, he was playing pretty well in Indiana. He was he was playing very well in Indiana, uh, where I think he just had more comfort and was more familiar with the teammates who were around him on the court and all that. But yeah, I mean, it seems like he's been forcing it a little. He looks way more like his old self than he has since the injury, but he's not reached that all-star, all-NBA level. And knowing that he's an upcoming free agent, like I, I don't know that he gets moved this season, but I, I agree. I'm, I'm going to sell that. He plays more than just the remainder of this season with Houston, if he even does that. Would you buy or sell, though, him finishing the season in Houston? I'll buy him finishing him. I'm yeah, going to yeah. sell it just for chaos. I'm going to throw yeah. it out into the to the ether. and I, I, I respect would, that. Uh, which would lead us to the Los Angeles Clippers. Buy or sell that they need someone on offense to put more pressure on the rim. And this is mostly in response to, I think everyone's been saying that they need a, a point guard, and George Hill's been a popular target. But I kind of feel like with as well that they're shooting from three this year. Uh, and given what they've, they're second in points per possession on offense this season, I believe as we're recording this. So I don't know that a point guard is necessarily the, the issue. It's the, I'm looking at the, you know, they're, they're 28th in rim frequency right now. So do you buy or sell the idea that they need someone to kind of put more pressure on the basket since Kawhi's game has always been, or at least lately, you know, he bails out. It's going to be in between. Um, now that you have Serge Ibaka as those five minutes, like he's going to pop, he's not going to roll. So buy or sell that idea. I think I'll sell it um, just because they could stand to improve in that area, but it's more of a luxury improvement than a necessity. Like this team is still really good as is, even with that inability to put pressure on the rim because Patrick Beverly isn't really an offensive point guard. We've known that for a long time. Reggie Jackson is Reggie Jackson. Lou Williams hasn't looked like full speed Lou Williams um, it, but all of that said, like, as you mentioned, this is still the number two offense in the NBA right now. And when you have Kawhi Leonard, who is still playing at an MVP caliber level, and you have Paul George, who has brought back that MVP caliber form we saw in 2017-18, now that he's healthy and, and just ready to go and playing motivated basketball, they're so good in every other area, especially with Nicholas Batum fitting in nicely and the defensive ability that they have and the defensive upside they have that they haven't really exercised because they haven't needed to. Um, don't be fooled because last year's team collapsed in the playoffs. This is the same roster, but a different team. I think I sell too, basically for all the reasons you said. And the other thing is, even if their three-point shooting regresses, like they're still eighth in free throw attempt rate right now while being 28th in um, the the share of their shots that come at the rim. They're also first in efficiency at the rim. So, okay, the shots are fewer and further between, but, but they're just making all of them. I still think it would be interesting to see them do that on the margins, but as you said, like it's a luxury. And so you, you're not thinking like, I think people would say, oh, they should go get Eric Bledsoe. And I don't think it needs to be that stark. The name that I kind of like, that springs to mind here when I was doing my research on this is like, can you get a DeLon right? And I don't even know if you're willing to give up a Lou Williams in that type of a deal, but he would be also because LA's defense, I know a lot of it is sort of skewed when you look at the data from that loss to the Mavericks this season, but it's been like weird, I would say. And so DeLon Wright also kind of beefs up what you do on the perimeter when you're defending the three. So that would just be a name I could look at. And you have 
you know, Lou Williams's salary. I don't, you know, Zubats is too valuable to this team. You can't lose, uh, move Kennard. I don't think you move Beverly in that scenario uh, or Ibaka or even Marcus Morris. You can cobble together like, you know, stepladder salaries where it's okay, Patrick Patterson um, and then other stuff like there's Terrence Mann. So you could get there maybe in a three for one. Um, I don't know what the what you else you'd have to give up to get him, but that would just be a name. I would look at. And they do have, if there's another name that springs to mind for you, like they do have Lou Williams's $8 million salary. And while I still think he's a useful player, I feel like he's a luxury that they don't need and someone who probably doesn't necessarily boost their ceiling in the playoffs. Yeah, doesn't I hurt it. I don't know if, that he boosts it. It's just my, I want, I don't want to shit all over Lou Will. No, I, I agree with you. I think that, that they can easily move Lou Williams if they want to. Um, and, and if they can get George Hill, you know, as I think you mentioned him earlier, then that's a good fit for this roster. If they can, but he doesn't put pressure um, on the rim. Is my point. It's like I don't even know if you need. No, him. he doesn't. He's he's not. Yeah, I mean, but I don't. I just I don't think that's the only archetype that you need to go for. I mean, what if they can trade for like Patty Mills? That'd be interesting. But yeah, all of these are luxury additions. I think we're in agreement that the Clippers like don't need to make a swing for the fences trade or even one of any significance to be legit contenders this season. No, I'm totally with you. They're they're clearly still like the Lakers and the Clippers to me are on on their own level. And speaking of the Lakers, we can move on to them. Uh, last year's team won 73.2% of its regular season games. This one is at 71.4% for the time being. Um, I, I like looking at simple rating system, SRS, which is basketball references metric that combines uh, margin of victory with strength of schedule to just put an estimate of team performance. Higher the better. Uh, last year's Lakers team finished with a 6.28 SRS. This year's team has a 7.5. So are you buying or selling that this year's team is better than last year's? I'll buy. There's, they're certainly better for the regular season. Just looking at the way that that they're really built here, and I think there's there's something to continuity this season. I think it's valuable every year, but especially now, where I don't know if any if you read or our listeners read Kevin Arnovitz's piece for ESPN about how life on the road has been its own bubble. Teams with new players and teams in general have had trouble sort of bonding like they normally would on the road, and so there's still yeah there were turn there was turnover with this team, but. You know, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, it's their second season together. There are other guys on this roster um, that were in the bubble with them that were just on the team last year as well. And, you know, some of the exchanges you made, like Mark Gasol is just like, he's he's a pro's pro at this point. He probably knows Anthony Davis and LeBron enough, just all of them having been around the league. I think that helps, but just the continuity with their two best players. That's an absolute big deal. And I think we're even seeing that with the Clippers where, yeah, they missed time uh, because they did enter the health and safety protocols at one point. But like now Kawhi and Paul George have been together for a year. And so we're sort of seeing this coalesce. And they're, they're, Paul George specifically is healthier than he was last season. So I'll, I'll absolutely buy that. I still, the thing that I question is going to be Montrez Harrell's minutes in the playoffs. I think those can still become a liability. And you do have Anthony Davis, the five, hanging in your back pocket. But that's just something, you know, you did, you used the mid-level on him. And that was effectively like your biggest move. I know you got Gasol for super cheap and the same with Wes Matthews. Uh, but I think even if we're looking at postseason matchups, them having Dennis Schroeder and how he's played, and I wasn't the biggest fan of that trade right off the bat, but just looking at what he's been able to do, I would say they're, whether it's the regular season or playoffs, I'll absolutely buy that they're better than last year. Yeah, I think it's all about the playoff question. And, and that ultimately comes down to whether you think that the additions and subtractions cancel each other out. So you, we're taking away Danny Green and Rajon Rondo and Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee and adding in Marcus Gasol and Montrez Harrell and Dennis Schroeder. 
which is probably an upgrade even if Montrez Harrell can't get big minutes during the playoffs. And it's not like Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee played big minutes in the playoffs anyway last year. So really, I think that the biggest question is, is Dennis Schroeder a big upgrade from Rajon Rondo? During the regular season, absolutely. During the playoffs, I don't know. I think Schroeder is more solvable. Rondo played remarkably well uh, during that that run to a title last season. We saw the, the whole playoff Rondo conversation totally reinvigorated and justifiably so. Um, but I, I would still buy that they're better just because the continuity factors that you talked about. And I do ultimately think those are upgrades to the rotation. The one thing I guess I will say about the playoffs is I would I might argue that Schroeder should be more valuable in the playoffs, but if you're looking at this team in the context of going up against the Clippers, I don't know that they've done anything to improve their chances against them, and maybe they're just not worried about the Clippers, but let's just – they didn't face the Clippers in the playoffs last year, and this is a different version of the Clippers right now. I'd pick L.A. in a seven-game series. Uh, I'd, obviously, I'd pick L.A. in a seven-game series. I'd pick the Lakers in a seven-game series right now against the Clippers, just giving them the benefit of the doubt, but – that specific opponent, and I still think everyone agrees that the Clippers, or at least that's the consensus, are their biggest threat. I don't know if they've improved the way they match up with right. uh, with with, L- with the fellow LA team. I just I hope we get to see that matchup this year. It felt like we were deprived of it last season. As entertaining as the playoff series were, um, I, I would like to see that. Memphis, buy or sell the Grizzlies' defense. They are currently third in possession, and so I'll say buy or sell them finishing top seven, top eight in points allowed per possession. This is probably the one I struggled with the most when we were going over what these questions were going to be before the podcast. Um, I'm going to hesitantly buy it. Um, I think that there's some natural regression baked into it. They are giving a ton of minutes to really young players, which is always problematic as the season progresses, especially this weird, unprecedented, short offseason, compressed schedule season. But if Jaron Jackson Jr. returns, that's a game changer on defense. When Jonas Valanciunas gets healthy, that's a benefit to the defense as well. Um, when Grayson Allen gets healthy, not so much. But you know, ultimately, like they're they're going to be adding more than they're subtracting as as the year goes on, and they do have the defensive pieces to be really impressive on that end of the floor for the entire season. Um, John Morant looks better. Brandon Clark um, is rangy enough to, to be impactful in multiple role in multiple roles. Uh, Tyus Jones, Kyle Anderson, Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman. These are all like already good defensive players. Uh, Gorgie Dang has, has looked better in his brief minutes. Like there are pieces here to have a, a top notch defense. I bought it too. And there are, you know, when you look at, the, the defensive ratings right now there are some teams that you can envision climbing into the top seven where it's um the, the clippers are certainly their 14th right now you don't think that that's going to hold long term could you see boston or uh maybe a cleveland they might be in and out of that territory all year mm-hmm. based on how they've defended but there's also teams you could be like oh are they really going to stay there the knicks being <laughs> the top choice i'm going to buy it and so i looked into this just a little bit more and was watching some stuff they have when you look at some of their they're one of the things they're doing. So they are limiting corner threes and looks at the rim and they're sort of guiding opponents. They're great at coaxing opponents into mid rangers, but they're also like, they're not going to sell out to contest these above the break threes, which I actually think is kind of smart 
because above the break threes are inherently going to be hit at a lower clip, and teams are shooting under 35% against them above the break. They've done a good job contesting them, but maybe that number still goes up a little bit. They're limiting looks in the corner, and opponents are shooting well from the corners right now, so there's a chance that even that sort of evens out. Um, I think opponents are shooting 42.5% against them in the corners. They have the best rim protection defense by raw field goal percentage. Um, Jonas Valanciunas, I think, has been a part of that before he's missed their past two games since going in the health and safety protocols, if I believe, or maybe he's been out even longer than that. I'm trying I think to a little longer than that. All right, so he's been out since January 18th, um, but just because well, the Grizzlies didn't the play. Grizzlies have played, like, like, what, two games since then? So yeah, He's only missed two games, and he's been out since okay. January 18th. If, yeah, it feels like he's been out for a month. So. Yeah, um, so he's been a part of that, and then you just, one of the things that won't compromise this is John Morant. I don't know if I'm ready to call him a good defender, but, like, he's sort of smart enough there where he can exist within this scheme, too, and he's a little bit bigger than you think, and you look at the lineups that they're trotting out right now, like the, I think with their staple lineup is Morant, Brooks, Anderson, Clark, and Tillman at this point. And he's Tillman's just been fantastic for them. Um, they have younger guys, like you mentioned, that they're playing a lot, but they compete. And Desmond Bain would be an example there for them. So just sort of watching them. Uh, and I'll admit that I've not seen much of the Grizzlies lately. And I think part of that is because they've played so they few played. games. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's sustainable. And I think it will only get easier for them once they have Valanciunas back and Jaron Jackson Jr. might actually hurt them um, would be my hottest take in that department. But he has in the past, but the, the talent is obviously there. Let's also not forget. They, they have not had justice Winslow yet. So if he ever comes back from his hip injury, I don't know if that helps who? helps or hurts. Yeah. Right. Who's, who's this? Yeah, exactly. Uh, if he ever comes back, I guess there needs to be a grace period there, but like that's just more defensive talent. And so I'm going to, I'm going to buy this, but I am a little hesitant, but I'm going to buy it. And look, Taylor Jenkins has done a hell of a job this year because we all thought the Grizzlies were dead in the water after the John Morant injury. It's been very impressive. And yeah, I think with Morant specifically, like he's big, he's strong, he's fast and he tries hard. And if you have those four qualities, you can play at least adequate defense in the NBA. John Morant is just so good. There, I just he's so much fun. There's, I'm so happy that he's back, and there's just like I'm just I love John Moran. I love the in and out hesitation dribbles. It's like aber- like some it's like some magic shit. I'm just happy he's healthy. Shout out John Moran for being healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope it stays that way. Um, Minnesota, the Timberwolves. Carl Anthony Towns has been to the playoffs once in his career. That came back in 2017-18 when they won the de facto playoff game, play-in game against the Denver Nuggets and then promptly lost in five games to the Houston Rockets. They have not been back since. They are not going to be there this season. I feel comfortable saying that since they're 4-14 four and 14 and have looked every part the four of a 4-14 of a team. Um, buy or sell the Carl Anthony Towns will ever win a playoff series with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Well, you're asking me to, if you told me he was going to finish his career there, I would buy it. That's part of the question. I'm going to sell it. I just, I don't know that I've seen anything about the way they're building this team. And I'm not trying to dump all over Gerson Rosas at the moment, but I don't know that D'Angelo Russell, Connor Anthony Towns, all these youngsters um, is the way to go. And look, there's a chance that they don't improve a great deal over the off season because they owe this year's pick to golden state. They might be bad enough for the top three protection to hit, but the lottery is just a crapshoot right now where there's flattened. If you, they could finish with a bottom three record, and they have a better chance of falling out of the top three than landing inside it still. So I'm gonna I'm going to sell, and I'm not trying to say that I think Carl Anthony Towns is eventually going to ask her out, but we are rapidly getting to the point, and I don't want to make this the focus. And I I I know small market fans hate this being the focus. 
they have like two years this season, next season, maybe a year after that before this becomes a real problem. And I don't know. I don't see their path to making the playoffs next season. I just don't, I don't know that I see it. They would have to go all in on some type of trade. Maybe there's a star that becomes available that I don't realize. And it'll be tough to make that trade to me if they don't have this year's pick in the bank. So I'm going to sell it. I think that that's going to be bad for Carl Anthony Towns' reputation. I just don't think that he's the not even close to the issue there. You could cite his on-off defense when he's playing. I, I, I don't care. Like His on-again, off-again motor on defense, I should say. He's not the problem. He's closer to a top-10 player than not at this point in his career. I'm just... I, I need to envision it somehow, and I'm even looking like looking at their roster after you told me this, that this was going to be your buy or sell. Like, I, do I believe in Jared Culver and Anthony Edwards to, to that extent? I, I probably believe in Jared Culver a little bit more than Anthony Edwards. I don't. I'm selling it. I don't feel great about it. That is not a compliment right there. Oof. I'm selling it. I have, like, no way to justify this, but I'm going to buy it. That's Mostly it? because <laughs> I think we'll move on. Mostly because I, I just I think Carl Anthony Towns is that good. Just I, I he he is a generational offensive talent. He's one of the most capable scorers, passers, whatever on offense we've ever seen from that position. And as poorly constructed as this roster is, and as unfortunate for the Timberwolves as it is that they owe that pick to the Golden State Warriors, um, and as as where do I go with the Anthony Edwards selection at number one? Oh I think we all know how I feel about that one, but I, I still think like, and, and I have no sources behind this or any in inside information. Carl Anthony Towns just strikes me as the kind of guy who's never going to ask out. I, he just, he's loyal. He's, uh, he's a good human. He wants to be there. He wants the best for his teammates. I just, I can't ever see him asking for a trade, knowing what that would do to the players on his team. So I think he's going to be there long enough and is good enough that eventually they're going to sneak in. I, I, I don't know what that path looks like. I don't know if that's, it's not with the current core though, right? This is not, no, the, okay. absolutely not. Right. Like I, I, I would be more confident in towns being the only player from the current roster on a playoff team in Minnesota than anything else. Okay. I think that's look that I Carl Anthony Towns is that good. It's my la- like Minnesota needs to do something about the defensive talent around him. Like they fa- they found some hits. Malik Beasley is playing fine. Nas Reed, great, but like you need better defenders right. around Carl Anthony Towns. This is largely why I wanted to ask that question because it's worth saying that this isn't his fault and that he is one hundred percent good enough to anchor a playoff team and really to anchor a team capable of going deep into the postseason, And it is an utter indictment of what the Timberwolves front office has been able to put around him for as long as he's been in the NBA, that he only has one playoff game one, not series one, but game one to this point in his career. I think that's fair. I'm also just laughing now because as we're recording this, um, Denver is in fuego going up against the Jazz at the moment. they I don't even think they finished the first half. Nikola Jokic has 31 points. Um, they're beating Utah 77-52. to, to 52. And if you're wondering whether our Jamal Murray take is going to age poorly, there's a chance. He's had like a Jamal Murray first half, so that, that's at least fine. But Jokic, he's building up his MVP case, 31 points in the first half against the Jazz. We are on to the Pelicans. Buy or sell the New Orleans Pelicans as the NBA's most disappointing team? I am going to slightly sell it. I think that they're in that category. They're in that most disappointing tier. 
but I'll say that the Mavericks have been a little more disappointing. Ultimately, because the Pelicans did move Drew Holiday to the Milwaukee Bucks, which meant that they weren't making an all-in play for this season. We still viewed them as a play-in caliber team, maybe a team that can finish even higher than that in the Western Conference standings, while acknowledging that they could fall further down. The Mavericks, we we talked about how they could potentially be like the number three seed in the Western Conference. They're 8-12, and 12, as we've already covered in this podcast, and the disappointment isn't just because Kristaps Porzingis has been hurt and largely ineffective when he's been on the court. There are so many things that have gone wrong for this Mavericks team. Will it bounce back? Sure. But to this point in the season, I think they're more disappointing. I think I agree with you. I'm going to say I'm going to buy it because I think because there's a chance that the Mavericks work out of this, they're not as disappointing. With the Pelicans, I do think there was sort of this disconnect between expectations and what they looked like on paper. They have really good players, Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram being among, among them. Also, fun fact, Zion is shooting 17 of 23 in isolation this season. Also, other fun fact, it really feels like Zion has like figured it out lately, especially on offense. There's more, and I don't think people appreciate this enough, Like, there's more... Uh, deliberateness to his offense like it's not just this raw explosion on putbacks and like you know scoring and these like bullhorn drives like there is deliberateness to the way that he plays with the ball in his hands so uh, yeah I would agree with you there I go back and forth maybe I should be slightly selling it like you did I'm just going to buy it because even though you look at this talent and yeah oh shooting is going to be an issue I remember we had the question on the early season mailbag is is Dan going to walk back what he said about New Orleans shooting and it was mostly tongue-in-cheek and it was actually funny because they were shooting so well um, they're still shooting like 37% from three with Zion and Steven Adams on the floor, but the, the fit just isn't there. I will say what's been disappointing is that despite the fit being odd, like why are you 18th in average possession time? You have Lonzo Ball and Zion Williamson on your team. You're actually getting out in transition less frequently when Lonzo Ball is on the floor statistically. Mm-hmm. They're 22nd in average possession time after forcing a turnover. And I also think like there could be – I thought there would be more to them on defense this year. And they started out hot. They're still giving up a ton of three-pointers. And part of that might be on um, Stan Van Gundy. But And I'm also not as down on Zion as defense. Like the off-ball awareness needs to – you know, when you look at how many corner threes they give up with him on the court. Plus the off-ball effort too, I would say. Yeah, that's – but like that's disappointing then too. But they're giving up a ton of corner threes when Zion's on the court because – and that speaks to his drifting. Brandon Ingram, um, it felt like he was playing a little bit better – on defense, and now it doesn't really feel like he's playing better. Uh, so that's been disappointing to me to sort of see their um, defense remain in this rut. And then Steven Adams has regressed on that end like quicker than I thought he was going to because he started out well and now isn't really there. So they are disappointing to me, but I- I'm even viewing that through. I didn't have as high hopes for them as I think a lot of other people did. And now we're seeing the sell-off is going to start. I don't think Lonzo or JJ finishes the, the season there. We yeah. already had the report from Shams that – JJ's probably going to wind up in Boston, Brooklyn, or Philadelphia. It's definitely not going to be Brooklyn. One, I'm pretty sure it's illegal to have Joe Harris, KD, Kyrie, James Harden, and JJ Redick on the same team. But also, they don't have expiring money to move aside from DJ, or not, but like sizable money that they can move aside from DJ or or Joe Harris. So, like, I don't know what the package is there. So, we know JJ Redick's gone. You need more of like a point guard on this roster who's not Eric Bledsoe, even though he has not been the one that's shooting the worst from three, um, but someone who's more of a threat to finish. Maybe that's Kyra Lewis Jr. Maybe it's Nikhil Alexander-Walker. You need to clear up minutes for them, but they have been disappointing. I thought there would be more from them on defense this year. 
And I'm just, I think that there's a different way for them to play on offense. I get what they're trying to do with Brandon Ingram having the ball a lot, and even Zion having the ball a lot, but now it's come almost too much at the expense of Lonzo Ball. To what end that's his fault? Because he's culpable. He's just, he's not a threat to finish when he has the ball in his hands. Like he needs to like either be in transition or he's going to hit, hit threes, but like you need someone to put more pressure on the rim than him. So I, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to lightly buy it because I do think that Dallas has a case here. I think even Toronto and Miami so far have cases. I think that Dallas has ultimately been more disappointing to this point, but I would bet on New Orleans finishing the season as the most disappointing team. Once we factor in that Dallas is probably going to bring in someone to help if it doesn't just automatically improve through positive regression. But New Orleans, as you laid out, is far more likely to sell off pieces and to get worse before they get better. Yeah, and I don't know if that makes them disappointing. Like, this is the long-term play. It shouldn't be about this season. So that might actually make them less disappointing. And there does seem – it's disconnect with expectations for both teams too, I would say, because, like, the Mavericks were billed as this top three team in the the West without getting, like, significantly better. And you knew that KP was not going to be available to start the year, and he's only played in three games so far. So I think it's with both teams, the expectations were probably too lofty, and yet they've underperformed relative to even giving them that cushion. Speaking of warped expectations, let's move to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who always had weird expectations going into the season because they were like the NBA's only team that it felt like they just had no pretense of competing this season. And yet they have because they're the Thunder and that's what they do. Uh, They're 8 and 10 as we're recording this, uh, which is a far better record than probably you or I expected. I don't want to put words in, in your mouth, but certainly for me. So buy or sell, the Thunder are capable of being bad enough to compete for the top pick in the 2021 draft. What does that mean? Bottom five record? I would say, are, are they going to, are, are they capable of finishing with a bottom three record in the NBA? I'll buy it. Look, their point differential, minus 7.2 per 100 possessions, is second to last in the league. Their offense is bad. Shea Gilgis-Alexander does lift it up to about average, which is impressive. So he's on the move. Their defense is he's been frisky. real good. Their defense is frisky, but it's not good enough, really. I think outside their you know their core starting five, and I do think some of the things that happen here. Um, Al Horford probably finishes the season in OKC. George Hill is definitely not finishing the season in OKC, and so you lose sort of a little bit of proven depth there. Um, and just as the season goes on, like I don't know that like you're still going to be relying on Alexei Pokashevsky is getting minutes. Um, is Shea Gilchuk-Alexander eventually going to hit a wall? It's possible with just the pressure that's being put on him. And then if you lose George Hill, that's one less um, spacer to have around him. Darius Baisley, they're really giving him a chance to branch out, and he's been all over the place with his shooting this year. I will buy it, but they've been pleasant to watch and competitive in certain games, and I do think it's because when they kind of futz around with their lineup combinations, they can do some things defensively. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to buy it. Uh, I, I do think they'll give more minutes to the young guys as as the season progresses. I'd really like to see them give Kenrick Williams in particular even more run. Um, but yeah, the, the point differential does indicate that they've played above their heads to this point. Pythagorean record, which just looks at points scored and allowed, says that they should be a 5-13 and 13 team rather than an 8-10. and 10. And when we're only 18 games into the season, a three-game swing is is massive. And it would completely reshape how we're framing this if they were 5-13 and 13 to this point. So, yeah, I think between the inevitable selling off of George Hill and I'm not entirely confident that Al Horford will be there as unpalatable as his contract may be. Um, yeah, I, I just I, I can't see them remaining this competitive for the whole season. 
Yeah, I mean, that's. I think we're both on the same page there. That would bring us to the Phoenix Suns. Buy or sell, the Phoenix Suns are the biggest threat to the Clippers and the Lakers in the Western Conference. I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's any, any surprise to anyone who's listened to like any previous episodes of this podcast. I just... I remain really high on the current Phoenix roster to the point that I I wouldn't make major changes with DeAndre Ayton, who seems to kind of be figuring out his level of aggression lately and and playing better basketball on both ends of the court. Uh, As everyone just adjusts to to Chris Paul, as Devin Booker starts to hit more shots, this is a good team on both ends of the court. It's a deep team. There's top-level talent. Um, as as good as the Denver Nuggets and Utah Jazz are, who I'm assuming we're going to view as the primary threats to those L.A. teams, yeah, I, I think that Phoenix has the highest ceiling. I actually thought you were going to sell this because I buy it as well. And they don't have Devin Booker right now. He's dealing with, a, I think it's a hamstring injury. The win over the Mavericks was huge. We've seen them blow some leads in crunch time. Um, Chris Paul, by the way, shooting 12 of 20 from mid-range in crunch time, which is 60% because he's freaking Chris Paul. So... I buy it because I do think they're starting to figure things out, and this feels like a team that's going to peak as the season goes on, assuming health, and Paul has been playing a lot of minutes lately, so that's something to to monitor as well. But DeAndre Ayton, I think what's been interesting with him is that this isn't a matter of why he was struggling until recently because he was deviating from the offense. It was that he was kind of sort of doing the things that he needed to do, but just not well. Like almost not like not even slipping screens, but like running away from them because he didn't want to put the ball on the floor off the catch. He's not doing that as often now. And I do think his defensive impact, despite what the on off numbers still say for the Phoenix and just their starters in general, um, I think you're you're going to see it normalize. And when you watch them play defense, just between having Mikael Bridges, Jay Crowder and DeAndre Ayton on the court in certain times, like they can switch literally anything they want because Ayton is so good in space. But even with a Crowder and a Mikael Bridges, and if we're looking at those specific matchups against the Clippers and the the Lakers, I'm not saying that these guys are stoppers for those players, but they have capable bodies to throw at Anthony Davis and LeBron, Kawhi and Paul George. When you look at Bridges can go up against one of them, and then you have Jay Crowder um, uh, for the other one when you're looking at the Clippers. And then with the Lakers, it's do I think Aiton should be defending Davis? There are going to be points where he's the power forward, so it doesn't even matter. Um, but Jay Crowder can be thrown at Davis, and then you have Mikael Bridges to like use. Maybe he gets overpowered against LeBron, but you have Jay Crowder to go up against LeBron. They just have more defensive options against those teams than I think any other team in the Western Conference right now, might be fair to say. So I'm absolutely buying it. And it's just a case of, remember what we thought about the Clippers last season? It felt like they were going to be the team that hit their stride later on as they got used to one another. This is that. Again, but like you can eat more easily bet against like it doesn't seem like there's a chemistry issue here because the, everyone's kind of sort of on the same page. And if DeAndre Ayton is like play is going to normalize in general, this team just becomes ultra difficult to beat. And I think even with Devin Booker, when he comes back, he'll probably turn the ball over less. Chemistry with Chris Paul will get a lot better. And even his some of his shooting numbers, those are going to get better as well. We know how good the Nuggets are and can be. The Utah Jazz have just been scorching hot prior to Sunday's game against the Nuggets where Jokic scored 31 in the first half. Um, and yet I, I still just – I feel like Phoenix is going to trend up and up and up throughout the season to the point that it's the popular – I don't feel like picking one of the Los Angeles teams to come out of the Western Conference pick. And all I have to add beyond that is a shout-out to Cameron Johnson who somehow has not been mentioned to this point in a Suns segment, and we need to because he's really good at basketball. Yeah, and look, I went on the Timeline podcast, the fellow Blue Wire podcast uh, – a week ago, actually, we went in depth on a lot of stuff. Um, Mike Vihill and Sam Cooper—they're—they're they're awesome 
you guys check out that podcast. Cam Johnson has been the – Mike mentioned this to me in the DMs at one point and said that Cam Johnson has been better defensively this year than he thought. And so I went and I looked and, like, holy crap. Like, he just moves a lot better. And even when Dario Saric is out, I think is he still in health and safety protocols? Is he injured at this point? I can't keep track with everything that's going on in the, in the NBA. I think he's out with health and safety protocols. Like, the backup, when he's at the five, they've just been absolutely annihilating opponents. And so – uh, there's a lot to really like about this team. You could get into talk where it seems like there's some sort of fragile depth where it's like, do they actually have enough depth up front? But yeah, they do. If Sarge is your backup center, you have enough depth. Um, if campaign is going to play well, like, yeah, you have enough guard depth and you can stagger Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Like they've been doing a ton this season. So, uh, really high on this team and i haven't wavered it's one of the few where i normally second guess everything if teams struggle just one of the rare instances where i'm just so confident that their recent sort of lull did not bother me in the slightest yeah i'm right there with you and also just a slight correction Jokic scored again before the end of the first half so he actually had a 33 point first half against utah on sunday i just want to point out that is fewer than 34 it is so really he needs to step up yes that's all he's he's struggling a little too much um the Portland Trailblazers, they currently have the 29th ranked defense in the NBA. Uh, they are dealing with just a litany of injuries between CJ McCollum and CJ Ellaby and Derek Jones Jr., who now has a foot sprain, and Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic. So my, my buy or sell here is that they have the personnel to improve their 29th ranked defense this season with or without a trade. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy I'm just I'm looking at some of the lineups that they can form, and I'll buy it. There's like a level of underachieving there. But what do you mean by improve? I guess is really the the one because do you Let, think? That, let's say that they can be at least on the cusp of a top half defense. I'll so buy. like you know 18th ish, you know somewhere <laughs> around there. I will. Oh man, you made this tough. I mean, a lot of it's prided on when Yusuf Nurkic comes back. Is he Yusuf Nurkic? That absolutely matters. Oh my God, I don't know. I might. S- I'll let you. I'll let you think, and I'll just say that I'm going to sell it just because there are too many injuries right now. I don't think they have the ammo to go out and make a major trade that would overhaul their defense, and I don't have confidence in Zach Collins or Yusuf Nurkic being Zach Collins or Yusuf Nurkic when they're immediately back on the floor this season because they've just missed too much time. And they need to work their way into some form of chemistry with largely a new look rotation because, you know, everyone's still adjusting to Carmelo Anthony. Uh, Robert Covington is new. Rodney Hood is back from injury. Derek Jones Jr. is a new addition. Gary Trent Jr. hadn't broken out until so late last year. And they're still figuring out how to play without McCollum, who's always been available for them. So there's just there's too much going on here. To, to really have confidence in that like large improvement that they would need to get out of that 29th spot. Like if, if we want to say to like 26, sure, but that's just a marginal improvement. I'm talking more, more whole scale than that. Yeah. If you want to ask me whether I think the Blazers are going to end up being the, what are they? The second worst defensive team by points per possession allowed yeah. per possession right now. I will sell that. I'm, I'm with you and probably going to, to buy. And there's, there's also the level of, of choice here where if you're looking at their, some of their, their most used lineups the so far the the Covington Nurkic and Jones combination which we could talk about what that would do to your spacing in general that's been like league average defensively this year when when they're on the court together if I'm not mistaken so I I will sell it but are you also going to rely on you know if you're going to play Simons a ton moving forward if McCollum comes back because he continues playing well there's and maybe you don't I, I don't know there's just there's so many injuries right now it's tough to envision I don't even view Collins as a you know 
like a factor for them. And he hmm. he might be one of the most overrated prospects, if you want to call him a still prospect. Now, I think because ESPN Zach Lowe's... His rim protection numbers have always been good, though. ESPN Zach Lowe is so high on him. I would just question whether if you're going to play him next to Nurk and you've been hesitant to play him as a backup five thus far, um, how does that work? And then also, look, he has not been the best three-point shooter for his career. And last year, he shot... 36.8% from beyond the arc, which is great. It was 19 attempts because he played in 11 games. And so let's chill. There's, I, I think they need to make a move. I don't know what the move would be. Uh, I will. Here's something that's interesting. There's a chance that this team ends up being a lot better in the postseason than the regular season. Just sort of looking at if they're healthy, having Derek. We saw Jones, that last year with Lillard. Yeah. And then there's also like having Derek Jones Jr. And, and Robert Covington. And if Nurkic is playing better to where you have just a sturdier rim protection around the rim than they've had thus far this season. So I'm going to sell it for the regular season. I would say keep an eye for it in the, in the playoffs. And maybe a player like uh, Derek Jones Jr. doesn't play as much in the playoffs. Like that could totally be a factor just if they're trying to cater to their offense. But I, I would think that there there's a chance there. So sell it for the regular season. I might loosely buy it for the postseason. Before we move on to the Sacramento Kings, I feel like this is maybe the first time we've been in lockstep on anything relating to the Portland Trailblazers in like a year. <laughs> um, but it's one that friend of the podcast, Tara Bowen Biggs, may, may not be thrilled about. So uh, Sorry, Tara. Apologies. She did. I think I saw a tweet from her the other night that she's just focusing on the Portland's offense right now anyway. And so I totally I respect that. So that's I do too because it's a lot of fun. I, I will always watch as when, when Damian Lillard is on the court, I'm going to tune in. Uh, Damian Lillard scoring six points in like 0.1 seconds on Saturday night too. That was, that was a great that game winner was so cool. We are on to the Sacramento Kings. And so winners of three of their last four, as we record this, Adam, do you buy or sell that the Sacramento Kings have turned the corner? I think I, I loosely buy it. Um, oh, that's frightening. <laughs> well, I want to hear first why that's frightening. What is it that you buy about their turnaround? I it, think I, I just buy that this roster has enough talent to be better than it's been. So do I think that it's suddenly like this playoff-bound juggernaut? No, absolutely not. Do I think it's going to continue to win 75% of its games? No, absolutely <laughs> not. But I think that it's not just the Western Conference bottom feeder that it had been prior to this mini turnaround because De'Aaron Fox is that good. Buddy Heald can hit shots. Tyrese Halliburton has been unbelievably good for a rookie. Harrison Barnes has been a very capable veteran. Marvin Bagley has looked better. Rashawn Holmes is still there. Um, I, I just I think that there are enough. That was a compliment to Holmes. That I know, but it was say just... negatives about him prior to this this streak. Um, but yeah, I, I just I think there are enough pieces, and the pieces do still make sense together. That I just I don't think that this is this absolute basement dweller of a team that it had been to this point so i look if you want to say so over the last five games if you look at some of the way um De'Aaron fox been solid all season his three ball starting to fall that's good harrison barnes playing well buddy healed shooting over 40 percent from three during this stretch bagley i think is sort of the big one here where he looks like a good offensive nba player lately uh i do i i trust i don't trust their defense even kind of sort of like it's just not it hasn't been there they're They've switched, uh, and I. to be fair, I've not watched or caught any of their last three games, so I want to make this clear. They've, they just like switched for the sake of switching, and they just don't really have the personnel to do that until that point. Maybe they have changed it. So that's something that I think will ultimately hold them back. 
Um, you could look at wins too, and I'm not saying that the the wins during this stretch are not quality. Uh, if you're going to beat Memphis right now, like that's just sort of a slog. But the defensive issues have still been sort of present in them, and I don't know that celebrating a win over the Knicks or the way that the Raptors have played this year. And I, I know the Knicks have been better um, of late, so maybe it is easier to buy into this. The other thing that's going um, into this for me is what does buying it look like? Because Sacramento currently. That's the Sacramento is – and look, here's the problem too is there are teams that are behind Sacramento in the standings right now that you would expect to sort of rise up. Spoiler alert, Minnesota is not one of them. But the Pelicans, the Mavericks, those two, maybe. And so what does buying into them playing better look like? Uh, if you want to buy it offensively, that Marvin Bagley's not a lost cause, I'm sure. The other factor to go into this is like how many of these guys are still on the team moving forward? Because I would say that – De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton are the only untouchables. I wouldn't move Rachon Holmes, but with him entering free agency, you might have to look at it. Also, Hassan Whiteside's been playing some pretty good basketball of late. Shout out to him since I know he tends to be like a, a target of NBA Twitter. I just I have to sell it. I would need if we want to jump another like five to ten games ahead, maybe I'll be more inclined to buy it if they're still playing at that level. Yeah. I'm I'm only buying that they look more like a capable basketball team. And just should continue to, to look like that. I'm going to say, you know, over under 1.5 of these players being traded this season for them. Bielita, Hall, uh, not Halberton, Holmes, Buddy Heald, and Harrison Barnes. Over under 1.5. I'll go over that. I think that Bielita is basically a lock to be moved. Um, and then I, I would bet on both Heald and Harrison Barnes being moved. Barnes feels just like a natural glue guy fit for a contender who just doesn't make sense in Sacramento for that much longer. And, and healed just, you know, has been malcontent there before and everyone always wants shooting. I think I would go over too. Right. You ready to move on to the San Antonio Spurs? San Antonio Spurs. I'm going to focus on DeMar DeRozan here, who at the time we're recording is averaging 19.8 points, 4.8 rebounds, 6.7 assists. He's shooting 48.8% from the field, 37.1% from three, and notably has already made 13 threes after hitting a combined 16 the last two seasons. Now, all of that said, the Spurs' net rating has been 11.3 points per 100 possessions worse with him on the floor. So are you buying or selling that this is the best basketball that DeMar DeRozan has ever played? Ooh. Ever? I'll ever. sell. There has to be just a time in Toronto that's better. I didn't look at it, but there just has to be. There was the season where he actually kind of shot threes and it was fine. It's So I, I'm trying to think of – I would have to argue that 2016-2017 DeMar DeRozan was better than this. I think you could I'm, even argue that 2017-2018 DeMar DeRozan is better than this. I think I'm going to buy it. I, I feel like this is the most complete he's ever been, where he, the passing strides that he's made are just absolutely remarkable. It's not just that he's averaging 6.7 assists. It's that those are only being coupled with 1.7 turnovers per game. He's been remarkably involved as a distributor without making mistakes of the unforced or forced variety, really. He's spacing the court more. He's willing to take three-pointers. And that on-off swing seems to be far more a function of the depth of the Spurs. And just we've always seen Greg Popovich coach teams have wonky net rating swings because of how he coaches up the bench um, and, and mixes and matches lineups and whatnot. So, yeah, I just I, I don't know that I've ever seen a version of DeRozan who just looked like a better basketball player. 
So is it fair to say that this is the best? It's tough because I feel like he's not taking. He might have talked me into it. I feel like he's not taking on the same amount of role, but the passing just replaces a lot of the scoring dip. And he look, this is the second highest true shooting percentage of his career right now. He's also posting the second highest PER. And so I might. And the scoring dip is still 19.8 points per game. Yeah. I'm torn. Like, is there a differentiation between this is the best version of DeMar DeRozan we've ever seen as opposed to his best season? Because it feels like this version of DeMar DeRozan is easier to fit in different That's situations. That's probably fair, just because, like, he, you know, that 2016-17 that team where he was so effective on it, it was 51-31 and 31 and finished third in the East. So, like, I think Otto Splits hated valuable. him in that season, though. So there have been people that push back, push back against that, too. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's that season. He was he had a negative five point two swing during that season, I mean, and that's a, that's been a constant throughout his career. The only positive in the net rating swing category is plus three point nine back in twenty eleven twelve with the Raptors. So this is just Demar Derozan like that. We know that's going to happen just because his his abilities don't always translate two wins directly um but yeah i just i think that even if this isn't the most valuable he's been that he it's the best he's been i will buy that this is the best version of demar DeRozan we have we've ever seen i do think what's helped too is like sort of how the spurs play around him at this point where it's, where it's always four out mm-hmm. i am disappointed that you didn't use this forum to talk about devin Vassell or kelvin johnson um i do forgive you the spurs quietly by the way um, oh, they've they've dropped because the West is wild. They're not ninth in the West, but they were fourth in the West without Derek White, and Derek White is back now. I believe he played on Saturday. I didn't catch that game that they played. So, uh, Spurs team to watch. A lot of teams to watch in the West. Go figure. Our final at, team. At what point? At what point are we going to start acknowledging that we talk about the Magic and the Spurs very differently, even though they have like the same strategy? Well, the Spurs strategy is panned out in a tougher con conference more i so. think that's the key and they have the history of winning like the magic didn't win like the, the spurs descended to the mediocrity treadmill right. the magic haven't like ever ascended past that post like shack and t-mac i guess yeah they're like the, the spurs are playing so well or at least you know looking at I Kel- guess dwight howard years i should say yeah. but even then like but the spurs are just and maybe they're not playing so well but they're surviving in the west which is still maybe it's not as great as it's been but it's still tough when you're in the middle class and also just like demar Derozan, Keldon johnson and Jakob pertle playing so well where it's like we don't talk about how they botched the Kawhi trade near, nearly enough because they did but they got Keldon johnson out of it who might end up being like this legitimate cornerstone so uh you heard it here first that dan is saying that Keldon johnson is basically as good as Kawhi leonard Kelvin Johnson might be the most reckless player in the NBA right now. I he's love it. Really but, fun to watch. Yeah, but uh, so th- he's. I think he's my favorite long-term prospect for them. I'm still a big Derek White and Devin Vassell stand. So that core, I want to see more of those three together, man. That's the those are the three players I'm watching for them long-term. Our final team. Though, I know you- no one wants to hear about fantasy basketball teams, but I I picked up along with my co-owner uh, Keldon Johnson the first week of the season, and I feel like he's just going to be on our team forever. Look, look, it it takes a lot to work your way into the Spurs rotation as a second year player. It's I know they're sort of still kind of rebuilding, but it takes he's averaging over thirty minutes per game. I would argue that that might be the most a second year player has um, averaged in San Antonio since maybe a Tim Duncan. Well, don't, why don't you do a long lead in 
to the um, to the next team, and I'll, I'll figure that out. I will focus on this for Keldon Johnson very quickly. 14.5 points, 2.2 assists, 7.4 rebounds. He's a pretty good rebounder. Shooting 53.6% on twos, which is it's lower than last year, but it's on higher volume. And it's actually shocking because of how he just bold, tries to bulldoze through these crowds. 33.9% on three, but I think he has more to offer there. He moves on defense really well. He's just an absolute joy to watch for them. And between him and Vassell and White and even Murray and, and Lonnie Walker, they just all of a sudden have all these wing bodies that they didn't have before. Um, anyway, I'll move into Utah very quickly while you're looking up that Spurs stat. So buyers, uh, my buyer sell is that Utah is more than just an astounding regular season team. And I think it's come back to that a lot for them, where it's always they're so deep. They have more what you would call very good NBA players on their team than perhaps any other squad in the league right now. But it always feels like there's something missing. Over the last, this game against the Nuggets um, that we're recording through notwithstanding, it has looked like they are just a force to be reckoned with over their last 11 games, all of which they've won. Um, In the nine that Donovan Mitchell has played in, he's really turned a corner over 25 points while slashing 48, 46, 88, essentially. Jordan Clarkson has been great for them all year. Ditto for Mike Conley. There's no just like learning curve anymore between he and Rudy Gobert. It's amazing how even after factoring in last season, like he's just now hardwired to how to throw lobs and like where to put the ball for Rudy Gobert. There's chemistry there. Boya Bogdanovich starting to hit his three ball and he's underachieved relative expectations for the season. Joe Ingles shooting a 55% from three during their winning streak, which again is about to end. Rudy Gobert, I don't think he's receiving it. This probably looks terrible because Jokic went off for 39,000 points in the first half of Sunday's game. I don't think he's receiving enough defensive player of the year, love. The Jazz are second in points allowed per possession, and he does he does more than just protect the rim. Like He can come out into the short mid-range and deter shots, block shot, sh- shots. No, he's not the most switchable guy, but if he's low enough, yeah, he can be. And so, I again, maybe Miles Turner beats him. Maybe Anthony Davis beats him out. Maybe even Joel Embiid still has a chance at it. There can't be voter fatigue here, and because he's a little bit more matchup-proof than a lot of those guys, certainly more than Anthony Davis— I'd be on the fence about Miles Turner. I'd probably say, yeah, a little bit more matchup proof than him. The Jazz are still just, he's so dominant defensively, and the on off swings are just wild with him. So, not receiving enough love there. Uh, they've been really good. I still think, before I throw it to you, since I went through the spiel, I might sell it. I feel like they are a very good team, and they're just one like Jay Crowder ish type player short. And that's not a troll because they already had Jay Crowder. They just need someone different to match up with those top tier wings on defense. You're never going to stop a LeBron um, or an Anthony Davis, but like you don't even have like, aside from Royce O'Neal, unless you trust um, George Yang, like you just don't have that obvious body to throw at them. And that's the type of player they need. I don't know if they can go trade for that type of player because every team is after that type of player right now, but I sell it and don't feel great about it. If you want to call them a top four team in the West, that's fine. I still think that top four kind of, you know, put you out of that tier of, of Lakers Clippers. So before I follow up on the jazz, I will follow up on our Spurs question. Uh, so since Tim Duncan's sophomore season in 1998, 10 players have cleared the 20 minutes per game threshold for the Spurs as sophomores. And I'll, I'll run through them real fast. We have Dewan Blair at 21.4, but that's a name you haven't thought about in quite some time. I remember thinking that he was really good. Me too. And then didn't he like, he hurt his knees, I think. And it just wasn't the same after that. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. 
Uh, Gary Neal, number nine at 21.5, tied with DeJounte Murray at 21.5. Derek White at 25.8. George Hill at 29.2. Manu Ginobili at 29.4. Keldon Johnson at 30.8 at number four. Number three is Kawhi Leonard, 31.2. I did not realize he logged so many minutes as a sophomore. Yeah, I didn't either. Number two is Tony Parker. 33.8 and then Tim Duncan at 39.3. So my notion was only slightly ridiculous, not not that ridiculous. No, I think it's pretty valid. I mean, he's Keldon Johnson is in the top 5 with Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, Tim Duncan and Kawhi Leonard. So he's going he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. That's that's, so, yeah, that's what we're saying is that there's a solid chance Keldon Johnson ends up on the Spurs Mount Rushmore. Uh if you're wondering by the way, it seems Utah's like Starting the third quarter by staging a comeback with this, we're we're following. This is going to be so outdated. This this portion of the podcast, <laughs> but um, if to to factor in with my buy or sell to Utah, there's a chance. And the Nuggets are experts at blowing leads. Um, it feels like so. But anyway, after all I said about the Jazz, do you buy or sell that they are more than just this really great, great? And I want to make they are transcendent as a regular season team. Do you buy or sell that they are more than that? I'm going to buy it. I I bought it last year. And then the Boyan Bogdanovich injury changed everything because they need that secondary tertiary scorer and floor spacer. And without it, it's easier to play Rudy Gobert off the floor in the playoffs, because if you can't score enough to take advantage of the great defense, then it's just easier to target him. It's easier to get him in foul trouble. It's easier to make sure that he isn't switchable enough to be on the court. You can't do that if they have this much weaponry at their disposal. So now you have the fully realized version of Donovan Mitchell. You have Bogdanovich, who has, is starting to heat up. You have Mike Conley, who's playing like the actual version of Mike Conley that they expected when they traded for him. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm going to buy that they are frisky enough to at least seriously threaten the LA teams and, and fully exist on that second tier of contenders in the West alongside Denver and Phoenix. Yeah, I still I, – I think there's a just that one player short for me, and I, I don't think it's a – look, my biggest compliment that I could give is Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are just a legitimate – one of the best duos in the league. And I will go back to the Gobert thing. I don't think he receives nearly enough credit for uh, what he does on defense. And I don't I don't want to hear screen assists. Like I, I get what he does there. Uh, what he does defensively is just – is so paramount to what they do. The on-off splits support it. You could just watch it and feel it where it's like – yeah, try and go to the rim because we just have the best rim protector that has been in the NBA for how long? Since who? And it's even beyond that. Like there, there are rim protectors who thrive as help side defenders or as weak side defenders and help defenders. There are guys who you just can't attack them out of the post. Gobert is both of those things, and he's probably the best like chase down half court defender I've ever seen. Where he's just uniquely gifted at letting a guy get just enough past him that he thinks he can go unabated to the rim and get swatted away from behind. His recovery after seeming to get beat by a ball handler is ridiculous. Do you know what I would really like to see on this team? No, but I think you're going to tell me. I'm actually not going to tell you because you refuse to answer. But what if they were able just to pick up like, well, I would love to see Aaron Gordon on this team. That would just make so much sense for what they need in my eyes defensively. I don't know how you get him without moving Ingles or Bogdanovich. You have favors his salary if you really want to go that route, and then you could build up from there. I just don't know how you get there. Maybe even if Thaddeus Young, like, does he help him? Does he? Help? I think he probably would. Sure, He's been sure, really good sure. defensively this year. I think it's that type of a move. I don't think it's a star. 
But like if they can make a hit a double on the trade market this year, I don't think they will because they've been so um, good lately. I don't know that they would uh, do that. I mean, even what if they got Kyle Anderson? Maybe he's just a little too slow, even though he uses that to his advantage. Like that's too much of a replica of what Joe Ingles would give you in his prime. Uh, but that that might help them in that regard. So there are names out there where, yeah, I think I've named that everyone sort of wants that type of player and trading for a Reggie Bullock is not going to solve it. But maybe there's paths to them like going out and, and getting someone of slightly similar caliber that could that could really help them there. I'm just I'm not even convinced they need that with the way the, the current roster looks. I my gut would say if they it would went be up, nice for them too, no doubt. My my gut would say that if they go up against the Clippers or the Lakers in a playoff series, they'll just get roundhouse kicked to the face. And maybe that still means that they're I think it would be a series. That's interesting. I, I I might be wrong. The Jazz have been fantastic over the last 11 games, and if they erase that lead against Denver, uh, I might walk back this all the way. All the way. Might just walk it back. That does it for us, though. Do you have anything else to add? Not really. I'm, uh, I think we should do this again later in the season, though. This seems to be like a good format, and I, I would love to hear what the readers think of this, this, this buy-sell focus they are listeners but i would also like to say that we did hold it whichever we did hold it to an average of five minutes per team at an hour and a little over an hour and 15 minutes but there was the intro amble so we were at about five minutes per team under 90 hopefully your wife does not hate you because this did go sub 90 but until next time one please rate review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast but most of all whether you're on itunes or not Search Hardwood Knox, throw us that five-star rating, write a review. Again, doesn't matter whether you're on iTunes. Subscribe to us, rate us, review us there, but also everywhere you get your podcast. Until next time, though, we leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only, Rudy Gobert. I think we talked about him enough where, where he deserved that one. Or maybe it's Keldon. Shout-out to Rudy Gobert and Keldon Johnson. Those are the shout-outs to end this podcast. <laughs>